0: Welcome to Brandon Evatt. Today we have a rather different episode and we're going to be talking to world-famous artist Roger Ballen and instead of starting with a thought experiment, we're going to start with an art experiment. If you're listening to Brandon Novat as a podcast, we strongly recommend that you check out our YouTube channel. This episode in particular has many strange and wonderful visuals from Roger Ballen. I have been taking photographs
1: for five decades. During this time, I broke through parts of my mind that I never knew existed. And at the same time, created a style that is referred to as Balinesque. I think my photographs will take you to a world that has been for many inaccessible. Animals pervade my spaces. Cats, dogs, rats, chickens, snakes and more. Dead and alive, big and small, wild and tame. Wherever you look there are animals. They appear in places that they hardly belong. You cannot escape the animal. You cannot run away from the animal. The animal is deep inside. We come from the animal. The people I work with are outsiders. They live on the edge, accept life for what it is, and realize there's nothing they can do to change things. They are at the mercy of the forces they cannot control. They wear no masks. What you see Is what you get. My images are meant to straddle the strange line Where illusion becomes delusion Fact is fiction And where the conscious merges with the unconscious Dreams become real The real becomes a dream The dead is alive
2: The alive, dead. The interiors I photograph are covered
1: with archaic drawings of faces, masks, and animals. Electric wires and wire coat hangers often bent so that they look like thin faces with arms. My intention is to unite painting, drawing, sculpture, and photography. The starkly minimalistic cells, in which most of my photographs were taken, contain no windows, no light, nothing but graffiti smudge walls. They are populated by fragmented humans, out-of-place animals, and broken
2: objects. I thrive in places characterized by chaos
1: and confusion. Chaos pervades over order. It dominates the human condition. There is no direction, no ultimate purpose. Confusion and loneliness reign. My photographs can be seen as an expression of organized chaos. Photography has been a vehicle that has allowed me to reach a point where the only answer to my existential questions is no answer. I've commonly stated that the most profound word in the English language is nothing. I come from nothing, know nothing, and will become nothing. My photographs are likely to outlive me.
3: Roger, watching the video, one of the things that strikes me is that there's a strong existentialist element. So existentialism, perhaps in two ways. Uh, The one is that, if I understand correctly, part of the Balanesque form is that there isn't a grand meaning to life. And the second existentialist element is perhaps in the feeling that the work conveys, which is one of chaos, which is also a strong existentialist theme, as I understand it. Could you speak a bit more about if you've had any influence from the existentialists? Yeah, I remember in uh,
1: 1967 at at high school, we had a reading list that we had a a read during the summer months, which was from June to early September. And there was a, a very short book that John Paul Sartre wrote on existentialism. And it was readable at age 17. If I'd read being and nothingness, I wouldn't get past the first page, but this uh, book was, a, I don't know how many pages must be 70, 80 pages. It was fairly big type and it was very understandable. And it was the first philosophy book that I actually read and it made total uh, sense to me. So uh, I think at that point in time, I understood my quest in a way, which was to, to find uh, some sort of meaning in a world that was chaotic and ultimately not comprehensible.
0: Different kinds of artists have tried to grapple with what is it like to live in a world that might have no meaning in it? Or what is it like to live in a world where you strip away the meaning of words? And some of the work that you've produced has this absurd theater element. So it makes me think about Beckett's Godot and the, the kind of strange figures that you find that are in these odd deserted landscapes. Is there a way in which different artists are trying to capture the same thing, the same feeling, the same existential journey, but through different forms and why photography and film, the forms that you've elected? Everybody's got their own
1: emotions, their own agenda. And some people explain their agenda in one way and the imagery they produce through visual arts reveals something else to different people. And, you know, everybody else, everybody perhaps has another ability or can explain it in different ways and it's not necessarily linked to what they feel. So we run into this endless conundrum between feeling and ability to express the feelings in words, which are usually quite inaccurate. So I have it always have it. It's always a very difficult thing for me to discuss what other artists are doing, where they're coming from, because on the planet there, there's millions of so-called artists, and for me, ultimately, the word doesn't mean anything anymore. It's a really become a meaningless word. The only uh, thing that I think the, the links, everybody that, um, that calls themselves an artist, they're involving themselves in a form of expression. And, and that's all it is. And so that's not a very meaningful activity to express yourself through a media and then you're called an artist, but what, w- what are they doing? Some are making comments about contemporary society. Some of them call themselves artists and all they're trying to do is make money. So. We run into this endless problem of, of what other artists are doing. And I, I don't really want to, it's so multidimensional at this point in time in photography and other arts that it's one I can't make any sense out of it. i tell you the truth.
3: I'm quite curious about this idea um, of expressing feelings in words versus expressing them through art. And I understand that art is now a contentious term, but let's just locate the discussion with your work. So here on this show, we're going to ask you a series of questions about what, what is involved in your art and perhaps sometimes what it means. Do you think that telling us about it and also the way it's you speak about it in, in that film balanesque do you think that conveys something that's equivalent to what the art is conveying, or is there something that's uncapturable through words in the piece of art itself? So philosophers, we have an analogous problem when it comes to feelings. So we some philosophers think that certain feelings have what they call qualia. And so, for example, they talk about what is it like to be in pain versus pain. And you can say, I'm in pain. You can utter that sentence, but that doesn't capture what it's like to feel the feeling. And is your art like that? Unless we see it and experience it, we... We don't understand it fully just through listening to it being spoken about. Uh, definitely,
1: definitely. Because the point is, and now we want when, when I talk about my art, I think we should perhaps stick to the anything I do visually, which is basically photography, painting and, and drawing and, and video. Okay. So the first thing that I understand is I'm involved in a visual language. I'm not involved in a verbal language. So by the very nature of the definition, it's, it's dealing with a, a world that um, doesn't have anything to do with words. It's visual organization and, and creating visual meanings. And that's where, especially in photography, a lot of people go off the diving board is they're constantly, they're trying to do work that is linked to something that can be interpreted without difficulty through verbal language. And, and therefore the the work usually doesn't get very far because the what they're trying to say has been said it a million times before so it's it's if you go back to maybe something more complicated to understand the subconscious mind which is a mind that is wordless it's a wordless you you don't know it doesn't have any words there it's something that's primeval and 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 ultimately um responsible for most of your behavior it's a mysterious force and 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 the goal ultimately is is to create uh work that that speaks to that to that part of the mind a silent mind and so somehow or another the work's got to get through into that silent mind and and that silent mind has its own ability to decipher the work in its own way in a wordless way and if it does that then the interpretation by the individual or the curator or whatever can happen but but if it doesn't do that then it's just Two, two, forced two parallel medias not really talking to each other. They're all skating on ice. Then they're just skating on ice, talking about something that doesn't reach the mind, and it's just talk, talk, talk. And the picture doesn't actually have any the deeper effect. See, I'm, so, for example, my goal is to produce images of psychological substance that remain in the deeper part of the of the mind, whatever the mind means. See this word here. This is the key word. Begins with an M and ends with a D. It is called mind. Eddie, get to the mind. Who is the mind? Does the mind trick you? Is the mind somebody else? Those are the key questions that you gotta let haunt you. I came to this place to give a talk. They did not like it. They grabbed me. We walked and walked and walked. I did not know where I was going. There were voices everywhere. People screaming and moaning. This is what I heard.
2: talking to me, can you hear them, can you hear them?
1: Would you actually exist? There no, is no way out. There is no way out.
2: There is
1: no way out. There is no way out of the mind.
2: Jesus, help my baby! My baby's dead. My baby's dead. They
0: Are there certain techniques that you can use that can generate this state where someone is able to plumb the depths of their mind or go through a sort of psychological journey? I've been uh, exposed to your work for over 20 years and there's something about it that is so visceral that just hits you and bypasses your analytic brain and crawls up into the dark recesses and you have the sort of shadow images of it in the middle of the night and they make you lurch out of bed. There's something... About the work that's just incredibly powerful, that people can, who are familiar with your work, will immediately be able to summon up some of those images in their minds and not just the image, but the emotional response that they had to that image the first time they saw it. So, are there things that you're able to do that generate that response? See,
1: I don't uh, go about trying to do any particular thing. For me, as I said, I try to create wordless images that are beyond words. Multi pictures that have multiple meanings that are visual I- in nature, so and multi dimensional and somewhat contradictory in meaning. So, a picture can be beautiful and ugly at the same time, it can be disturbing and profound also at the same time. So, the, I guess I don't know whether there is any words in philosophy where something means there's two or three meanings that are opposed to each other. And, and when you have that, then you have something that's enigmatic. And then you then to me, you're getting close to something, what I call art, that you can't explain exactly the force behind it. And that's seen in life itself. Life itself is that force. You just have to think about your own body, your own mind, the sun coming up in the morning, how a tree goes from sea to what, it, to a big tree with flowers on it. This is the enigma. So uh, I guess ultimately uh, the goal is to produce work that isn't decipherable into simplistic verbal terms and, and remains an enigma and challenges the subconscious mind to come to terms with it in, in some way or another. That's that each person has to deal with in their own way. And perhaps never come to terms with it in any real verbal way. Uh, and you're right, I just go back to your initial point a common statement about my work oh it's dark it gives me a bit of nightmares it makes me a bit anxious it's a bit scary but every time somebody says that i know i hit the bullseye i hit the bullseye that's the best thing they can tell me i'm gonna have a nightmare sometimes they say i'm gonna have a nightmare i said well i'm so happy to hear that this is great news for me i'm doing what i'm art's doing what it's supposed to be doing breaking through your uh, repression your uh, false state of mind and and making you deal with
3: um, reality on this planet. I have a lot of questions (laughs) I want to ask. So the first one is my hat as a science fiction author, because what's very interesting for me as an author is I'm using words, right? And so it seems to suffer immediately from this problem that you're describing, which is that as as you said, as soon as you're using words, you're hitting up against that analytic brain and you're stopping that gut instinctual response. But I think the goal of a good author is to use words in such a way that you get past that. And so I think a good author will try very hard to elicit that emotional punch and to get behind, as you say, the repression or get under the repression, but through words. I, I wonder whether you think there is a form of literary art as well. Definitely. Definitely.
1: And before I was a so-called photographic artist, I'd, I, and really I had any understanding of the visual arts. I had a, a good background in literature and philosophy, poetry. And, and so all that stuff is, is, is the same. It's, it's breaking, breaking, uh, through the surface and, and getting towards the core of things, whether it's through poetry or, or as I said, literature, music, any of these things, how do you do that? Well, there's no way of, there's no formula. And if there was, when people use formulas and the pictures contrived and doesn't have any impact. it looks uh, false and feels false. So nothing in nature feels that way at all. Everything in nature feels genuine. Most art these days, you know, a lot of it, especially in the visual arts feels contrived and false. So you're right. There's no, the, there's no formula to work with either you're able to get there or not. And that's as simple as that. Either you can get there or not. I mean, we can go sit in a university for 50 years and never get there. And so, I mean, for me, for example, I never took a photo course in my whole life. I didn't go to university and study photography. I studied psychology and geology. So, I mean, so that was probably a good thing. It was probably a good thing. I mean, I remember once, I always tell people the story. I was at the Art Student League in 1973. I spent about four or five months painting and my mother was dying of cancer and I didn't know what to do with myself. So I was in New York City. I went to the, this famous Art Students League to learn how to draw. I got interested in painting and a friend that was, told me I should take a painting. And then I'll never forget the guy came up to me and said, Mr. Roger, you belong in the stone age. Yeah, well that, I should, I. I didn't know what the hell to respond to that, but I should have responded. It responded in a positive way. That was a compliment. He didn't say it as a compliment because it was, it had a genuineness to it. If you looked at stone age painting, it's genuine. So I wonder
0: about this idea where you don't study a particular thing. That's to become a photographer, or to become a writer. So Kurt Vonnegut studied anthropology and you know, his writing is so rich and unusual in his way that he can observe people because of having studied something different and i wonder if there's a concern that people that go and study creative writing or english degrees to become writers or people who go to art school to become artists wind up producing art that looks the same that's dull that's boring that you say the only way to penetrate it is with a very lengthy essay that's attached to it and that your part photography was unconventional and your work is unconventional i think you've described your, yourself as an outsider who depicts outsiders so do you think that if you'd set foot in formal courses that would have had a negative impact on your work probably probably and i wasn't interested in doing that anyway because what they were teaching me
1: wasn't interesting to me so i had this existential quest i, I, I said that from like age 17 i was obsessed with uh roger Ball's identity in a so-called meaningless world that, trying to find some sort of meaning with it. I wasn't trying to fit my vision into some sort of contemporary art, contemporary photographic format. That was not something I was interested in. It was a vision of, it was a passion, a vision of self-discovery, an individual exercise that done through, and you know, initially done through a lot of traveling and moving from place to place, trying to find Roger Ballard and, and trying to, there was this Ospensky this book I buzz I just saw it the other day. I read it at the time, it's, it was, it's called in quest of the miraculous. And and I remember thinking about that book as he talked about uh, his his trips to the East and I made these a five year trip from by land from Cairo to Cape Town and from Istanbul to New Guinea five years on the road with a backpack. And and I did my first book called Boyhood. So it was this quest to find the miraculous, whatever you want to call it, the mysterious, the enigmatic, who Roger Ballin is what's uh, underneath this world that we that we're uh, that we're born into it so th- this was this was early days but the, the work in that in those early days didn't have the sophistication and complexity that it has now so
3: you've spoken about the emotional impact that your work has and i definitely feel that when i watch it when i watched roger the rat it impacted me both directly the work itself but also because I've written a lot about rats in my own work. And it immediately brought to mind a passage and I sent it to Mark as soon as I watched the video and I said, Read this, I wrote this three years ago, and it's it's about this android that's making rat stew for the, the crew of a ship, unbeknownst to them, and everyone gets very sick. But yeah, so I, I felt a lot of resonance in it, both kind of primal, but also kind of resonating through my own creativity. And watching Balinesque, and watching the way you describe your work, and listening to you describe it as chaotic, and then reading the comments on that video, on the YouTube video, it struck me that... Obviously there's an enormous number of people who resonate with that, who get that, who it it hits some part of them that's very, very core to who they are. My question is, suppose no one saw your work. So suppose there was no audience. Would it be as valuable? I started in the late sixties.
1: I did it as a hobby for really until about 2000. So it was 32 years and nobody seeing my work. And from 1982, I lived here and there was no interest in, in the work. Before that I was studying geology and, and before that I was traveling the world. So nobody was interested in the work. So that's, that's, was the key thing. And it, and it's been the key thing up to now it's been driven by Roger Bell. And and whether the world shut down on me, I would still do the work. Cause it's like brushing my teeth in the morning. I don't, I don't think whether I should be doing it, do, not doing it, doing it. I just do it. I don't ask questions. and and it's always interesting to me on so many occasions when it all, sometimes the best pictures I took when are when I didn't feel that well, or I had a cold or I, this or that, and then I got a good picture. So I realized that, it's not, that taking a picture has nothing to do with mood. It's to it's deal with a, a precision mind and the, and a, a mind that's uh, ready to act in a mechanical way, in a creative way, and, and, and not feeling well sometimes inhibits that, but sometimes it makes no absolutely uh, no difference whatsoever. It's all about focus, discipline, having a mind that's ready to work with complexity and knows where and has a feeling where it's gone and take, and being able to take the risk to go from step A to step Z without, without giving up.
0: Your sure. work has really spent five decades and there's just a huge range of different kinds of work. How has your relationship with particular images shifted over time? Were there images that you were initially in love with and then fell out of love with? And if, if that shift happened, what caused the shift? Well, the thing is, is you're always more involved with the present.
1: So you can look at the past images. They're like fossils from the past and you like them. They're, they're important goalposts in, in your, in your passage through time. So I like those images. They've stayed with my mind and they've been building blocks to where I am. But I'm sure every person involved in the arts and in life in general, it's the present that always has the most impact. So that what you're doing now and quite recently is what is the, really the uh, diving board for, for where you're going. And, And I've digested my photographs over the 50 years and they're part of that of what i do in the present but they're well digested and they're in my mind but i'm not uh, constantly going back to them for inspiration but when i'm taking a picture uh, and trying to put it together there might be something in a particular image that comes into my mind that helps me put a and b together but it might be something that happened to me when i was a child when i got out of a car and saw something and that and that was the thing that um helps me put a and b together it's impossible to, to figure this out it's creative uh, Thinking is not something that uh, is mechanical and and can be defined in any uh, real way. It's impossible. It's impossible.
3: Something I've experienced with my own books is that once they're complete, as time passes, they seem to feel like they're less and less a part of me, like they take on their own life and my identity slowly separates. And I've only been writing for about 10 years. So I can't imagine what it would be like after 50. Do you feel when you look back on your much older work that it's not really your work anymore? No,
1: I'm made up of all these parts that I can't really fathom anyway. This whole process of going through time is ambiguous, enigmatic. And, and I think that's something that I would say is a mirror to the work. It's the enigma of passage through time and how. Who, who, who have I uh, been? Who am I now? Where am I going? What's going to happen? No, these are all the same, same sort of stuff. It's hard to fathom. You look at a picture of yourself when you're five years old and you look in the mirror, you wonder what happened, but you can't figure it out. Just use the words again. I'm getting old. I know getting old. You're right. So why is this happening? Who's responsible for it? And it's happening to everything,
0: the tree, the dog, even a granite rock is falling apart. So one of the sort of deep philosophical questions relates to our sense of personal identity and whether we have continuity over time. You mentioned this idea of looking at yourself at the age of five, and there's some sense in which that being is not at all identical with you now. It doesn't have any of the same cells, doesn't have any of the same memories, any of the same kinds of relationships. But Jason has said to me that He thinks he has more in common with me than he does with himself as a baby. And I think it's interesting about how we can change over time and maybe we have multiple lives over time because we've ceased to exist and then there's some new thing that takes over. But that work is different. That there's this thing that's outside of you that persists beyond your physical existence and beyond your psychological states and can have its own life and its own kind of quality to it. So if if I look at the book it's divided into these different chapters of your work that some of those pieces look like they were made by someone else and the other ones are made by this new entity and we can see the overlapping arcs and the 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 kind of influences but it might be like comparing two different artists the one who could say was this this person owed their work because they were exposed to someone like francis bacon but they are not the same as francis bacon so you might think that's the current Roger Ballen was influenced by prior Roger Ballen, but the two are not the same.
1: If you do look at that work carefully, you'll see how it progressed. So there is a line through the work step by step, and you can see the jumps, you can see the little layers, and if you read the book, you can try to comment on some of these things. So there is a line through that work, which is has a logic to it, and there are places where some of this subjects like theater of apparition series is a big jump i always compare these to faults i don't know in geology this thing called fault and and sometimes like there's a giant fault the earth just shifts and then like and you're on another layer like theater of apparitions may be something really different and then sometimes you just go sideways and just keep working in the same way but there is a movement my photographs and perhaps i'll be an apparition so i think there is this layer by layer by layer uh, relationship in, in in the work and and without certain layers and i would have got the other layers and, and i don't as i say you, you look back at baby pictures you look back at your mother your father all these things are there it's hard to fathom any, uh, just hard to fathom most of these things and, any uh, real way there's your father he's dead mother's dead who were they where are they? where are they where am i i'll i'll be probably joining them at some point i will so but maybe i won't so i'm not quite uh clear except there is there is the logic and i can't explain the logic I got from a 1968 through the years to where i am now there is i can sit and lecture for two hours and show that progression which makes some sense to me
3: so, I, I think a lot of philosophers share your sense of mystery around what our continuity consists in, what it is that links us from that price of to now, and how mysterious that is and There are philosophers who claim to have that solution, but I'm quite skeptical that they've got it, and I think our continuity breaks down quite easily and it's a regular discussion that Mark and I have where Mark thinks there is continuity, and I think there isn't, and I think it breaks down easily something i'm I'm interested in in especially when you look back at previous work and you perhaps look at it with fresh eyes, previous work that you've done, do you think that the meaning of the work is the meaning that you intended at the time when creating it? Or do you think the meaning of the work evolves over time?
1: Well, first the meaning again is not, is not necessarily verbal. And so the meaning is multidimensional and the meaning is not necessarily deciphered to one word or the other. So I don't go into a photograph and have any, and work with a word. I don't think of any words. And either the picture has a jolt of electricity in it, that it's, has a complexity that I'm seeking, a multi-dimensional aspect that I'm seeking, has has substance to it and deeper meanings, or doesn't. And that implicitly I can see those things. And before I take the picture, about ready to take the photograph, I can see this Looks like it has the potential to get there, but you never know till you see the picture, blow it up, and also what what is also very important in in photography, which is different, which separates it from all the other media. Is that a lot of it's uh, coming up with a momentary, but it's it's about the moment, it's about freezing something at time, and it's a very crucial part of expressing meaning in photography. You got to find something that happens sometimes in a microsecond, maybe just the way somebody blinks like that, like that, boom. And then it's gone, it's gone. But when you went like that, when the person went like that, that captured, that integrated with everything else in the picture, but then it's gone again. So I can't necessarily predict that somebody's going to go like that. And that's going to be the trigger for catching that uh, picture. So uh, I don't know. and, and, And I can't predict it. So I don't. Uh, I don't work with any uh, particular concepts, except I like, uh, there's two things that I go after. One is very crystallized form. You look in my pictures from the early days, the form is very crystallized. Everything is organic. Everything belongs there. It's extremely tight form. And the second, I go for deeper meanings, enigmatic meanings, meanings of subconscious relationships. and, And that's what I go for. I'm not a cultural photographer. I'm not necessarily trying to make comments about
0: today and now in contemporary culture, I'm trying to deal with psychological meaning. Some of the subjects that you're photographing are not people that we would ordinarily encounter. They are overt outsiders. They're people who seem to experience the world differently. There's a wonderful image you have of a young boy drawing these chalk faces on the wall. And then as your work evolves, you start to see those types of drawings in your work. But I wonder about this idea of capturing people who think differently or who have different mental states, those that would be considered uh, insane.
2: How's it, Stephanus? Hi, What's you doing? I'm drawing. Let me tell you about Roger. The first day I met him, it was because of a lady who took me to him. Draw a few pictures, and from that day, I started working for him.
3: Who decides what you draw? Does he tell you what to draw or? No,
2: he doesn't tell me what to draw, I draw by myself. I love to draw. I love nothing else but drawing.
1: What are you drawing? I always say, go walk down the street. You can walk down in in Johannesburg. Wherever you are, in five minutes, you can find an interesting subject. You remember what we saw the other day outside the building, this man with a coat over his head. He was an interesting subject. So there he is. So now what are you going to do with him? You can go talk to him. Now what next? What's next? So, you know, I always say when you found a subject that you think is interesting, whether he's in Santa, uh, he's a so-called normal person or somebody they might refer to as an outsider, at least in my world, you're 5% there. You're not 50% there. So what next? So I also, I also made the comment that I can put anybody at my pictures. So if I said to you clearly, Mark, I'll put you in my picture. And if I said that to you, would you still be making the comment about that? I'm working with the mentally insane.
0: In, in my case, undoubtedly. No, but what? But this is what I'm
1: saying. It's a vision of, it's a transformation of the world. It's a transformation of the world. It's like Bacon or any great artist, El Greco, they transform the world in a particular way and through their mental state. And that's what I do. And that's why I would say confidently, all things being equal, of course. I, where you're sitting now, I don't think I would be able to take a very great photograph, but all things being equal, I'll put you in one of my pictures. And then what would you do if somebody said, you heard somebody saying, Roger Bellin is working with outsiders. People who have met mental issues, who live on the fringe, can't cope with reality. Then what, then how would you think of what I do then if you're in one of the pictures, I know you'll make a joke out of this, but it's a
0: good point. Cause it yeah. could be the truth. It could be the truth about what I'm saying. Well, I think, as you say, that transformative element of your work is quite amazing, that you're able to capture something about someone and it changes them into something else. There's this theatrical element. So if I think about the work that you did with Dionne Ford, which had a huge impact on the kind of work that they created, you have these interesting characters who themselves have gone through many transformations in the kinds of work that they create. And you can bring out darker elements or the central elements in these people. I think there's a sense in which, as you say, it's it's not that you're necessarily photographing someone who is an outsider, but that you can bring out that element in them. I mean, that moment when we were at your center and looking out at that figure, it immediately reminded me of the cover of one of your books, where you have a figure who's exactly draped like that in this blanket, and he's looking up at this steel wire, and it's such a striking image. And I think that's the amazing gift of photography is that it attunes your eye to the world you see things that other people don't see you can capture an opportunity you can say there right there there's something amazing going on right now and we're missing it and think what we could get from this moment this transformative experience with this person this person who can evoke all these different kinds of sensations in you a sense of wanting to run away maybe to want to know more to comfort to to flee and that's what you do is that you you take these These little moments of reality, and you play with them, and you twist them, and you transform them, and you create this new transformative experience for yourself, and I think for the viewers. Yeah, that's what it really is, and it and and
1: I again make the um, analogy that I've made a few times: that making a photograph could be seen as like a a painting, a painting has at a thousand, ten thousand brushstrokes, and to get there may take a thousand, ten thousand, yes, no, yes, no, maybe this or that to get there. So it's a very Complicated procedure, non-verbal procedure, also a very conscious experience or a procedure to to get to the point where you have the picture. I mean, it's you're it's like writing. You start with a blank page. Most of these situations, you start with a blank. So, if you were a street photographer, you would might find that man on the street like the other day, and then you'd have to figure out what next. You may stick him in the car and um, drive around and trying to find a place. You may stick him in front of this, or stick him in front of that. But you may not be able to get to that point where you're transforming this person uh, into a reality that has impact on you and other people. That's, that's, that's what's difficult. Or you may take a picture of the person and everybody says, oh, well, that's just another, which is 99% of what happens. Oh, that's a, a, i feel sorry for him. He's poor. And, and I don't know why uh, people, why somebody like that has to live that way in, in a country like this. So that would probably be the message that most people would get it, would, would be able to convey they had some skill, but to get to a, a situation where you could portray him in, a, in his sense of being and make him correspond to other people's sense of being and make a statement that has some sort of universal subconscious value, lasting value from culture The culture, even though they, they may not even know where South Africa is on them. That's, that's, that separates the men from the boys, if you want to use that, that terminology.
3: So this is fascinating to me because my experience as a writer is so much more internal. So I go out into the world, might see the very same figure as you do, but I don't need to put him in a car and take him somewhere and photograph him. Good point. I go through that, that internal work, which is, has its own challenges and is difficult in other ways, but it must be so challenging to work with the subject Whereas I don't have to do that. I just have to work with them internally. No,
1: no, you're absolutely 100% right. I did, during this lockdown, I spent about 10 weeks just painting and doing paintings every day on canvas for the first time since 73. Although you see drawings in my photographs, but these were drawings on canvas. And for me, it was so much easier to do painting. But in photography, it's a big job because you're working with real objects in a real, so-called real world. you get, if you're working in a photographic studio, like I might, in some ways or somebody's house, you got to go and photograph the subject against a wall. I have to find a cat or a bed or a this or that and figure out how to put them all together. And And if you don't have the objects, well, then you can't make the picture. So it is it is very, very, it's not easy. It's a very difficult field to get to the point where we're talking about. And that's why very few do. it. Most of them just end up making social messages of, that everybody's seen and heard of before and re- reinforces their political view of the world, if, if they're maybe more serious. And, but to get to this other state, places,
0: in photography, very difficult. When you're trying to create work, that the nature of photography often requires an external subject, and how your work has shifted over time, that you've started working with with animals, with with sculptural objects, and you've started creating these experiential places. So at Zeitzmacher, there's a, a, a room that you created, where you have this... It's a whole world, really, where you walk into it and you're immediately kind of sucked into the Balinesque, and you've got these robotic figures, and you've got sketches on the walls, and it feels like you've moved into into the photograph, um, and it c- can create this different visceral sensation. And so I wonder about the, the limits of certain media. In other words, a photograph can transport you in some kind of way. But there's also a sense in which, over time, as you've been creating photographs, the bar for someone to create photographs has shifted dramatically. So it used to be the case that you at least had to understand how to operate a rather complex camera or develop in a dark room. Now people can produce photographs on their phone that can be quite striking, but you've got millions of them being produced every day. And so to kind of compete for that space, to have, as you say, that that spark of electricity must become harder and harder and harder with a photographic image. And at the same time, your, your recent work has moved away from the black and white that you've embraced color, and so you've changed how you work and what you work with. And I wonder what effect you you find that's had on 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 your audience and on yourself. Yeah. Well, look, what well, the concept of color color naturally just happened. Actually, just
1: as a small point. When I was doing the Balinese film, Leica camera gave me a camera to make the Balinese film. And I before that, I was only using a film camera, a roll of like six by six film camera. Then all of a sudden I got this digital camera, that could do videos, but could take color digital pictures. And so when I, I started using this camera to make the video and and occasionally use it for other things. And I took the pictures in color because you, when you take them through Photoshop, you can make them in, into black and white. And I couldn't believe it. In some cases, the color was better than the black and white. I couldn't believe it because I said on my website at the time, um, I'm, um, I'm, a black and white photographer, I don't like color for various reasons. And this is my life in photography somewhere or something like that. So there I was being a hypocrite because all of a sudden these color pictures were strong and they were different. They were challenging, which is what I found really. I think why I got hooked on it to some degree is was like a new challenge to do something in color after 50 years of black and white. What could I do with color? And what was also challenging was how quickly I adapted to it. It really took no time or energy, uh, just uh, moved right into it. And within weeks of getting that camera, I was able to take decent pictures. So I implicitly understood how they create form and content through color. And obviously color adds a, another layer of meaning to an image that black and white might or might not do. They're, they're two different medias. And so they do project the world in slightly different ways. A black and white picture isn't a color picture. So they, they have to understand how colors work to create meaning and you have to understand how black and white tones integrate to create a great meaning. So there's a science to this as well.
3: Do you think that art has to be good? Do you get art that's also bad or is that not art? Is that something else? Is that a failure?
1: Oh, but the word's wrong. Art does, belongs in the garbage can. They haven't come up with any other words. So maybe they need to go to see the Eskimos, like the Eskimos have, God knows, so many words for snow. Maybe somebody has to come up with some new words for art. Because it's just a meaningless term. And how people judge art is also meaningless. That's the problem with the whole field, but there's subjectivity to it and a lot of money and marketing now behind it, which didn't exist before to the same level. So you're in a world where what could have potential value is seen in a monetary way and, and is not necessarily to, perhaps to an acute eye. And a, who has an acute eye? I don't know, but it's. It doesn't necessarily have to be the best. It, it may be the, the work that's either best marketed or most written about in such a way that people understand it and it's used in a certain way and, and the media catches on with it and then people buy it. And So this idea of good and bad is a big mess, and a huge mess. You know, I don't I don't think there's any way out of it anymore. It's just a mess. Time will play a role in in, in separating
0: art that has some sort of long-term value and and art that just here and now you find that your relationship with other people's artworks is contaminated by your own process so if you're in a process where you're trying to sift through work as you say as a photographer you could take a hundred or a thousand images that you then have to sift through to try and work out which is the one that will be proclaimed up the one that goes on the wall the one that goes into the book That when you look at other people's work, it can be noise. It can be distraction. It can be uncomfortable to look at. Or are there works of art where you say, that's amazing. That's mesmerizing. No, I mean, you you do find this. I mean, there are lots of
1: things I see from place to place on Instagram or in a museum that I like, I'm not critical of everything I I see. There's, I do find stuff and and it can be from somebody who doesn't even refer to themselves as an artist because as I said, I deal with art fruit subjects and they don't call themselves artists. They don't even know what an artist is. So, some of that stuff is really interesting to me. And some of the toys I have back here, some of them have a real essence. They're like they're artworks in their own way. They reveal something about being a child in, in a very innocent, provocative, clear way. And, and one could easily say that some of those old toys are works of works of art. And a lot to me, they elicit a, a, a much stronger uh, emotional response and than some sculptures that I see in a contemporary art
3: museum. Years ago I went into therapy. And before I started therapy, I was writing in a particular style. And I said to the therapist, I'm very worried that through this process of therapy it might alter my art. It might alter my writing. And built into that is that I valued my writing as it was. And his view was no, 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 it's not going to alter your work. What your work is, is sublimation of these internal processes. And what the therapy does is make you more aware of your sublimatory process. So it helps you understand the way you sublimate. I was just wondering whether you take a similar view on therapy or understanding yourself, that it helps you create better or whether it's a threat in some way.
1: Look, again, there's a huge difference between what you're doing in in writing, which is trying to express these ideas, say from a therapist or reading about your issues one way or another. And what I do as a visual artist, it's not as easy to come to terms uh, with, say, what a psychiatrist might um, reveal about your personality and then go out in the world and try to express that in a chaotic world uh, and try to find objects, people, drawings, and put them all together and say, that relates to what the therapist said today, Whereas, whereas you can make a story. About your visit to the therapist, and and uh, create a character that has these issues, and and reveal that subject, that experience, in, in an almost pro rata way. This is much more difficult in, in what I'm doing. I, I don't. That's why I said I don't think in words. They can tell me that I got a an Oedipus complex, and well, I don't care. It has no meaning to me. I I still have the same problem when I go out there, and I got to just work with what's out there. And, edit this complex, I can go dream about it and read about it, but it has no impact in, on what I'm
0: doing. So it seems that part of your process is to stand in between order and chaos. That a lot of successful photography really is about stripping elements away. That if you work in black and white, you're immediately removing color. You're removing um, elements that distract the eye. That you're trying to kind of get to a visual essence. But to do that stripping away requires seeing the chaos and then trying to reorder it and so i wonder how being a mediator between those two states how that plays out in the different kinds of visual work that you do whether it be in drawing in photography in the sort of theatrical elements that you have in photography or when you're let's say the the uh, documentary aspects of some of your earlier work
2: yo welcome to the artland i'm stanley I'm going to show you all my children, my baby rats. Come, police! I'm going to run in front of them. you are going to lock me up. I'm killing <laughs> you. Yeah! That was the friend, Roger. Hey, hi, Stan. How are you? OK, and you, Rog? Did you have a good day? Yes. I've been at Ben for some time now. And what did you do? What did you show them? I showed him a lot of things in the outland. Ben can't believe his eyes with all these people around here. Great, did you catch any rats today? A lot. Every day I catch the rats and take them home and let them go. Oh, that's great. Uh, Where are you taking photos today? I'm in Johannesburg today. I'm taking some pictures of rats myself. What ones? White ones, black ones, and grey ones. Let them see it. How's uh, clean their Stan? He's all right. He's walking around with the axe, chopping everything up there, up, down yet. Really, you watch yourself. Now you be careful where you're walking, and don't walk around the outland at night. No. Take care, goodbye, and you take care of yourself and make sure Ben drives back carefully. Bye, George, I love you. Come on! Jump in! Yeah! yeah you Okay, thanks, sir. I killed once, never again. Never again. I killed once and never again. Every day I catch the rats and take them home and let them go.
1: Tomorrow, like every other day for the past twenty years, Stan will get up, catch rats, take them home, let them go. I mean, look—this existential chaos, this physical chaos, this perceived chaos, social chaos. So again, this word gets a little bit complicated. I mean, is chaos is 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 here it can be seen as a it's part of a life process of going through time and not being able to predict one moment from the next, which is which is the case in many in most cases. So again, if you um, make a picture that shows chaos as a definable term and that's all you're doing, well then you're not saying that much. Go to go to a junkyard or or just walk down a street in Johannesburg and take a picture of the litter. The, the rubbish on the side of the street and call that chaos. Or, or the dog knocks over the garbage can in the house and call that chaos. So that's a simplistic uh, view of the world, but how do you deal with this? If somebody said to you, go out and take a picture of, of your inability to deal with one moment to the next, and although the human beings fear that issue, go out and express that content and make certain, to make any real determination in, in the future because they can die tomorrow, go out and make that comment in the world around you, then, then you've got a big problem ahead of you. What are you going to do? Go and take your camera outside and figure out what are you going to do? Where are you going to start with that concept? Becomes, see, this is, this is the problem here. Again, the philosopher may, has a little bit easier time because <laughs> he starts with that concept and can start to define it and write it down the way I'm talking about it, but when you're talking about a visual world which you've got to create and go find everything and put it together. And then find that, what do they say? That that wound inside the mind, that f- the primal fear inside the mind, and get to that primal fear. Well, there's no formula for doing that, You're either capable or not. That's it. You're either capable or not. Some of my pictures do a better job of it than others. and Some are more inclined towards these concepts than others more humorous and may have nothing to do with anything I'm talking about.
3: I think for a lot of people, especially when one starts studying philosophy and starts exploring it, it's exactly what you're describing. So it's this kind of easy to access process that seems quite clean and clear cut and you've got these easily broken down terms and all these schools of thought, which you can access. But over time, as you kind of delve into those concepts, and you try to really wrestle with some of the fundamental questions, it can become very tough to the point where you reach the space, which might be something like what you're describing. It's the space of kind of gut feel. Um, so it's, it's like, well, I like that concept. That concept feels right. Instead of saying, well, I've got a good argument for that concept. And, and my, my impression after running the show with Mark for over a year now, almost two years is a lot of the philosophers on this show, you can push them and push them and push them. And you can ask them for their arguments and their the reasons why they think what they think. But at bottom, they've reached a moment at some point of the, in their lives where they have an experience. And that experience then evolves into a belief, which evolves into a philosophy, which they then come onto the show with and argue for. And it sounds very clean when they give it. But I think underneath When you really delve into even philosophy, you get to these kind of basic experiences. I would call it the primal void. Or the question
1: uh, is, how did the universe start? It's that type of question. You just can't get beyond that. And and I guess as you get older, you realize you have like not 1% chance, you have zero chance. That's it. So you're working with zero chance, but you... And then it goes back to existentialism, to the absurd, all the stuff that you might as well create meaning for yourself anyway. So what? Oh, it's better than doing nothing. But there is a point of, as I said in the balladess, about nothingness, and that's what to being a nothingness. That was a, a great term for a book. Being in time by Heidegger was another one. A great time, a great way of defining life. And so y'all, yeah, you reach that point, and it, but it's important to admit to the mind. Cause the mind doesn't like to admit to this and society is, does everything. It's the death instinct. Now does everything possible to stay away from this. This is, this is the prime, prime thing that society is doing its best to cover up with. They can't deal with it. So it's that results in consumerism and every, and fascism and, and everything else with cover up of, of the primal fear. And so, but if you come to terms with it in some way or another, then it's, then you're dealing with something of. Uh, life value, at least to yourself. Most people are scared of it. They're scared of that void. They're scared of it, which is understandable because it's, it's about death. That's it. Even animals don't like it. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I don't think rats don't like it either. <laughs>
0: Well, Roger, I want to thank you for an absolutely fascinating conversation, but it would be remiss of me not to give you an opportunity to talk about the center that you've started. And maybe if you can tell us a little bit about it. I started the foundation in 2007, which was losing steam. And I don't know what more to do with this
1: thing. There was no places really to exhibit and they can have so many contests and everything else and that gets to be boring too. So I wanted a place that in a way could express the things i worked with for years it was a place of my legacy, an archive and a place of people, uh, a place of education. So I with an architect to build the building. And I had a, a few criteria because I wasn't clear a, a lot of things. I never built a building in my life. One, it should be my office. Second, it should be my archive, And thirdly, it should have a substantial space that I can make exhibitions in. And, and that was the criteria. And I wanted to make sure the building was made out of Concrete, because that was a lot of my photographs had that concrete element in it. I didn't want it to be be fancy. I wanted to feel uh, raw in a way but that was a new building. And so, this is what, what happened, and and the, and the building was completed in August 2020 when I moved moved in here, and i I've been here ever since. And I'm now working on the first exhibition, which I hope uh, will happen sometime in 2022.